We're rolling. We're rolling. <laughs> turn the mics on and we get all quiet we turn the mics on and everybody goes quiet yeah because we're trying to figure out how it's smooth start well i guess this is going to be the uh, sex drugs and rock and roll episode of everything everything yeah well we we were you were going to do um sex and charlie watts and and i like i'm like those are two <laughs> words that i would never ever have never seen in a sentence before. So, so we better we better add the drugs thing. Well, yeah. well, let me start with the drugs thing, and so we'll start with, uh, uh, I, I guess maybe the 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 sad part of the uh, episode first. Uh, we're recording this on August thirty first, which is International Overdose Awareness Day, and uh, this is a tough one for me because uh, uh, my thirty five year old niece uh, overdosed in Kelowna on Sunday night and died. And so, um, yeah, this one hits home for me pretty hard. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's, uh, uh, it's uh, addiction is a powerful thing that runs through our society. It touches all people in all walks of life. And, um, and uh, they, uh, you know, it, it, these aren't faceless people. They leave behind people who love them. Uh, and, uh, you know, they had stories of their own. And uh, Marina, was, Marina was the reason I became a father. Um, because I really treasured my relationship with her when she was little as Uncle Neil. And I was like, fatherhood, I could do this. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I owe her a great debt, and uh, she's forever in my heart. Well, I think, you know, um, despite, despite where, where people head, I think she probably remembered you, like, fondly, Uncle Neil. I hope so. Right? I, I would I would pro- I would think so. I, I hope so. so. I did not know it was uh, uh, today was the uh, addiction awareness. So day. it's a, it's a, a, a overdose awareness Overdo- day. Overdose awareness day. So yeah. uh, right because it, it this is a huge thing in 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 our society and I mean sadly in most communities of any decent size that you live in. Uh, whether it's Prince George or wherever you you, you live listening to this, is that uh, chances are someone's going to overdose today. And, and, you, and they might live and they might die. You it really talked depends. About, yeah, and you talked about, you know, I was, I was uh, speaking with somebody yesterday, and, and, I, and you know, I'm, I'm one of those people that believe I'd, I'd rather be wrong and have someone dislike me than to be right and not say anything to the person who may need to know that that there's somebody available if they if they're yeah. hurting or whatever, right? Yep. So I talked to somebody, uh, and I said, you know, I asked them some questions. They were sort of uncomfortable, and I said, you know, I only ask because, you know, because of what I see and what I know and why I care. Like I care, yeah. right? I don't want to see anybody, and it touches all strata, like all economic strata. It's yeah. not just it's not just down downtown. Um, I remember, and I was always relating this story to this person about how a doctor had ta- had taught me how to open a can of Lysol on Queen Street in Toronto. Right. So it's doctors and lawyers, and and I've met some 
brain surgeons that have had to had to deal with some issues, right? Mar- Mar- Marina grew up in for for people who know Kelowna. Uh, Marina grew up in the Mission part of Kelowna. The mm-hmm. Mission is what would be Prince George's College Heights, right? The nice part of town. Hey, you got some nice stuff up in the heart. I know, <laughs> I, I know, but but I know, yeah. I, I mean, we all know that that I mean, cities of all sizes, uh, small and large, have have. Uh, you know what is considered the strata. They're, they're as you say, folk. What, what is considered the <laughs> yeah. nicer part yeah. of town? Yeah. And, yeah. and Marina certainly grew up in the nicer yeah. part of town. And but addiction caught her and didn't let go. And it doesn't, you know, and it, it doesn't matter. We talk about there was uh, the young hockey player. Yeah. Um, and I can't remember his name. You you remember his name? Uh, but it was just a case of having an injury. Yes. And and somebody, I think a fellow player, said, here, try these. It'll take the edge off of that pain. Yeah. And it was only once. Yep. And it was an overdose. Yeah. Um, uh, they've named uh, the uh, the rink at the curling club that they set up, that little small chat. Uh, Chad Staley. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. One time. One time. And he was gone. One time and he was gone. And, and uh, so it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily mean... Uh, you have to be an addict. Yeah. You yep. know, it doesn't necessarily mean you could be, uh, I'm not going to make light of it, so I'll just leave it. Yeah. Um, but it's, uh, you know, and, and I mean, a lot of people are, are mourning right now uh, um, Charlie Watts as well, uh, mm-hmm. the, 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 the drummer of the Rolling Stones. Uh, the outpouring of grief for him has been. Very similar to what Neil Peart received uh, a couple of years ago is that um, absolutely beloved, um, you know, man who died at 80, but played to the soundtrack for so many people's lives. He, him, um, Mick Jagger and Keith Richards were the only three to play on every single, every single studio album. Of the Rolling Stones, right. and I don't, yeah, of the Rolling Stones, and then, and then there was the Charlie Watts Quintet. That's which, right. Which doesn't, which I was listening to. I played it on the, I played it on the Blues Roadhouse, my blues show. Uh, I said, you know, I got a shirt's jazz, but I'm going to put this on, and they do, they do a tribute to Bird, um, Charlie Parker. Yeah. And, and uh, I used to own that CD back in the day. What's that? I used to own that CD back in the day. Which one? The the tribute to Charlie Parker. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, it was. It's a pretty nice. I like it. Of course, I didn't listen to the whole. I think it was one hour and something. Yeah. But uh, I put Bluebird on, which which is a really nice. And so listening to that, listening to Charlie Watts play jazz, which I had never done before, um, I understood then why that sound, why their sound, and you know, you can look at the Rolling Stones, you can look at at any of the bands in the 60s those that didn't make it and those that did make it those that did make it there's sometimes that hidden thing that we don't really see like the drummer we don't really notice until until the drummer isn't there well bo- both yeah. of us recently watched that uh, uh, that count me in, count me in yeah. documentary on netflix it's a decent about drumming, uh, and, and it's a it's a decent documentary. Uh, as I complained about on Twitter, uh, any any documentary about drumming that neglects to even mention Neil Peart is like doing a documentary about physics and 
neglecting to mention that Einstein guy. <laughs> but but anyway, it, it, I, I mean, thankfully, and, and of course the timing of it is it came out literally days before uh, Charlie Watts' death. And, and, and nicely so, there's, there's uh, short segments to both Charlie Watts and Ringo Starr and in, uh, of the Beatles, of course, and, and two hugely underrated drummers. Mm-hmm. Um, who, but, but their talent as drummers was, they were pocket drummers. They just sat in the pocket and, and they were the backbone. And, um, and, and of course, Charlie Watts just added that little jazz flourishes and flares or finishes and fills, I should say, that, that for non-drummers, um, he'd just keep in time. But yeah, I started to listen really I really started to listen and I started to listen on on the beats and what was happening on the beats like like I, I think I was listening to cuz they talked about uh honky tonk woman and I and I thought I got to listen to this and so I started listening and he, that opening that opening and the, part, ca- right? the cowbell wasn't him yeah. it was somebody else um but he he kept that time but but I was counting his top hat, right? And I'm like, that's so jazz. Like, because it would be like, I'm like, oh, wait, that's on the fourth. What? That's on the fifth. Fit? Wait, hold on a second. That one was on the sixth. Yeah, what's he doing? And I'm like, what is he doing? It, when you really listen to it, it sounds weird. But when you put it in with the whole stew, yeah. oh, what a spice. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. And, 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 and he was very much... Uh, he. he I, I came to appreciate Charlie Watts as a drummer much later in my musical life because I just thought he was a guy that kept time. Mm-hmm. I, I I didn't realize that that he was he was so subtle and and because again he took that that jazz drummer philosophy is that if 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 you're playing for a prima donna in his case in front of two prima, two donnas, prima donnas right Mick and Keith. Um, your your job is to back up, leave lots of room for the prima donnas to be prima donnas, and you do your thing, but you don't overshadow your prima donnas, and that's what he did to a T. And Keith Richards said, he said, if it weren't for Charlie Watts, first of all, there wouldn't be the Stones, and 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 I think he said, and I'll paraphrase, uh, Charlie Watts drumming allowed me to do what I do. Yeah. On guitar, and that's exactly it, yeah. right there. Um, so yeah, just a, a, an amazing talent, and uh, like, and and Count Me In does talk about this. Is so many uh, drummers, uh, successful rock drummers, have the jazz background. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Neil Peart had it. So many of, of is, is they got into it because they heard jazz records. They heard Buddy Rich and some of these other people and were like, oh my God, I want to be that guy. Who was it? Was it who was it that said? Oh, I oh, it was the Metallica drummer Lars Ulrich. Yeah, Lars Ulrich. Because I'm, you know, like we talked about with Terry, heavy metal is not my deal, right? Yeah, <laughs> especially yeah. '80s. But uh, I was listening to him talking. Yeah, Gene Krupa, and he's like, "Who's that, Dad?" Or it was Buddy Rich. Who's that? Yeah, I want to be. I want to be that guy. Yeah, right? I want to be that guy. Yeah, 
You'll never be that guy. Is that what his dad said? I think you'll never be that guy. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, I, I, it was the, the Iron Maiden drummer in particular that was kind of the same thing, right? You'll never be you'll, that guy. You'll never be that. But he okay, was. but he I'm going to be. I'm going to be a guy inspired yeah. by that guy. Yeah. Yeah. And so we were going to actually we wanted we were going to talk about the third. Well, first of all, I'm I'm amazed that none of those, um, none of the guys from the stones od'd yeah close 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 Some close calls um but but i'm amazed oh not only not only like and 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 charlie watts came out of the 60s and 70s pretty relatively unscathed his addiction good suits yes he was on the vogue one of the vogue best dressed hall of fame or A something meticulous dresser but you don't see that until late after the stones have sort of made their made their mark made their money yeah then you see that uh that he's but 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 again see he's showing his jazz background mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. that that when when successful jazz bands of charlie watts when he was growing up the right the the, the drummers and the jazz he was nice listening suit. to they they dressed to the nines when they played, yeah. Um, and and of course to to play drums in a full suit, in a three piece suit and tie, you're playing super controlled. There's no you're not doing the Lars Ulrich mm-hmm. uh, going crazy, right? You're 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 very controlled. And how did Charlie Watts play? Very controlled. Um, you know an occasional little smirk on his face when he would see Keith or Mick do something goofy in front of him. But other than that, man, he just played, he just played. And, uh, so we're going to, we were going to, you know what? I don't even know why this is such an uncomfortable subject even to bring up. Talking about sex. Talking about sex. Well, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. We're going to talk about the toughest one. The toughest one. It's easy to talk about drugs and rock and roll. Yeah, yeah. Talking about sex. Ooh. And I thought, you know, when I was thinking about this, when we decided we were going to do this, the third and the three things you should never talk about. <laughs> um, sex, politics, and religion. And religion. So we've covered religion really early. Yeah. Politics was a couple weeks ago. What was the last one? A couple yeah. weeks ago. And now sex, and and I thought I thought, how am I going to talk about sex without divulging any of my own things, predilections, um, skeletons, <laughs> and and uh, be respectful to the partners and my my wife, yeah, right, like my wife and and former partners, and I'm like, I don't know if I can, but I maybe I'll just have to sit. There'll be silence for the next. <laughs> <laughs> 20 minutes. I know, and I thought about it. I said, well, I would love to say that I practiced a lot for this one, that I did a lot of research. <laughs> but that's just middle-aged white guy talk, right? Well, fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. I, I, I mean, let's start with the basics. What was your introduction? What was your gateway? When, when did sex first enter your life? Um... Wow. While you're thinking about it. You know what? I think I was five. I, I was in kindergarten. Now, this wasn't a ma- matter of anything inappropriate. Yeah. But, uh, but, but there were some magazines that were around. And I saw these magazines, and I was five, six maybe. And I, and I found, even at that age, and I, mean, I don't know, it, it was intriguing at that, that age. 
right? Because I looked at them and I found and that I like to look at them. But other than that, it wasn't, you know. But if yeah. you want to get into more, more substance, yeah. Oh. 13, 12, 13, maybe. Who, who, yeah. Did you ever get the talk? Yeah, my dad threw a box of condoms to me. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, he said, <clears throat> if you, he says, you don't have to use them, but if the need ever arises, yeah. and he's like, get it arises, he says, <laughs> you have them. Right. I'm like, thanks, dad. Except there was no instruction on how to use them, when to use no, them. No, he had, when I was old, my dad, my parents were really liberal. And I think I mentioned this in, in one of the other episodes. There yeah. was Kama Sutra on the, there was the joy of sex on our book bookcase. My parents were quite, my, my dad and my stepmother, quite liberal when it yeah. came to that. So if and you wanted to learn something, you just went and pulled it off the bookshelf. Pulled it off the bookshelf. Yeah. And then we had sex ed in in class, which for, for that time in the 19... Late seventies, early eighties was uh, pretty, pretty open. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mine was. I never got the talk. Uh, my dad was working in the Arctic a lot, mm-hmm. and so it was kind of left to my mom. And my mom, well, my parents were, you know, good Alberta, northern Alberta farm stock, and so for, for my mom, it was just. Uh, and I was the oldest, so, and I was a reader. So my mom bought the four-volume Family Life Cycle Library. I think I remember something about that, but I'm not sure. I don't know if we had it. But so um, and so that was that was certainly my other than the you know sex ed in school. That was uh-huh. certainly my my more formal introduction. Um, my my young child introduction, and much like you, it's sort of a, a more innocent thing, uh, although I didn't understand it uh, at the time. So um, one of the things, I, as an adult, I, I, I've been very, I've actually done a lot of reading about sex, and, and fortunately, uh, especially in the last 20 years or so, universities have, have really... Uh, opened up more to sex research and human sex research, mm-hmm. right? It, it was seen as sort of, what are you, some kind of pervert that you want to, you know, and, and I mean, this goes back to the Kinsley days, right? The, um, you know, and, and, and some of that early research in the 50s and 60s yeah. is that, that somehow you're some kind of pervert if you want to study human sexu- sexuality, except it is a really fascinating topic. Mm-hmm. Um, and so anyway, w- one of the books I read just ta- that I've read over the years just talked about how, uh, and, or maybe this came from one of the various documentaries I've also watched, and there's some good ones on Netflix as well. The fact that, that um, you know, people who, who get into certain kinks, mm-hmm. um, Get, get there because of an early childhood experience. Mm-hmm. And, and so, so one of them was that uh, the, the researcher was explaining the fact that, like, some people are really into latex. Mm-hmm. Well, except that that, that that can't be something that's evolutionary. Latex didn't exist until the, year, the, the early 20th century. Mm-hmm. So, so where does... Uh, you know, where does, uh, you know, being, uh, you know, having a fetish for latex come from? 
So that definitely has to be not a nature, but a nurture. Something happens. And what they found is that, that there are episodes, usually in the toddler to young childhood, so anywhere between two and five, there's episodes that end up shaping your adult sexuality. And what they found doing research and also a lot of interviews, a balloon incident. Oh, yeah, okay, well, that makes perfect sense. Where, right? where they were either shocked, scared, surprised, yeah. but got a big rush, got a rush on it. from popping balloons and suddenly, boom, there it is. Yeah. And so that explained, that explained something to me um, is that, and I, I'm not revealing sort of anything out of school or that would embarrass uh, my wife or previous partners or anything, I, I like the larger ladies. I always have. Mm-hmm. I, I've been, you know, from the first girls I, I kind of had a crush on in high school, they were they were the chubby girls. And, and so that made me think, well, where did that come from? Oh, my babysitter. Oh, right. <laughs> when really? I When I was a little kid, my babysitter, Susan, was a fluffy girl, and I, I loved her to bits. I thought she was the cat's meow. And that's likely where that comes from. You know, so that gets that gets me thinking because I never really thought of how. So, so I know what my tastes are. Yeah. One was formed when I was when I was in my early teens, and uh, and 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 it has to do with dominance. And I was having to leave one summer where I was, and the woman that. The, the the girl, you know, uh, that I at that time was with, started crying, and she she was like like gr- holding on to my legs and that you know saying don't leave and her mascara like was running. <sighs> to this day, right? So that's forty some years ago, right? Yeah. That and then I'm I'm trying to think. You know, there was n- not too many incidences that I can remember, but uh, I. Long hair, right? Long hair, I like long hair. Now, you yeah. just got me thinking about, I used to play Tarzan and Jane when we were six years old. <laughs> the girl down the street, yeah. long hair, long brown hair. Yeah. And for some reason, long that, hair just, That just clicked, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, so that just clicked. Wow. I never knew we were influenced at that young age. Yes, that, 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 our, that our sexual tastes are... are extremely influenced by by incidents and exposures to various things mm-hmm. in our childhood and, and very much can shape uh, what we're into. Um, I, I, I don't think it's strictly an exclusive thing. I think it's more that we're, we're the nature part of it is we're kind of already open to it. Mm-hmm. And then I wonder if that's, is. is that throughout the entire animal kingdom? Hard to say. Hard to say. And right? do animals even have, like, well, and oh, I, we can get, well, that's a whole Pandora's well, it, box. It, it, I, don't it, know nothing, it, it, I, I know nothing about. It, it, it is, I mean, uh, let, let's just say that, that uh, uh, different kinds of sexuality have been observed all through the animal kingdom. Homosexuality is rampant mm-hmm. through, the, through the animal kingdom. Uh, so, so. You know, for anyone who sort of considers homosexuality unnatural, um, sorry, it, sorry, and and it's not even mammals. Uh, it, it's birds, it's insects, 
um, you know, the, the, the very famous uh, penguin uh, same-sex oh, yeah, couple yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, at the New York Zoo, right? It, it, it's... Uh, it, it runs through the through the animal kingdom. Uh, there's there's 100% nothing unnatural about homosexuality, and that's the way it should be. Yeah, I mean, and and here's one thing. Uh, you know, we're in the middle of the election, and and Justin's dad said something once. Yeah, what did he say? He said that the the Government has no business in, in the, the bedrooms bedroom of, of the, the nation. nation. Yeah. <laughs> right? And I believe that to be true, and neither does the church. Yeah. Really. I mean, well, maybe that's a little different, right? The church. Yeah. The church dictates. I mean, that's the dogma that you choose to follow. The yeah. government, I don't know. They don't have any business. But if you choose to follow a certain, certain faith, then their tenets sort of— Lay down, but I think everybody, like you said, everybody's got a little, little spice. Everybody's spice got a little kink. A little spice Every, rack somewhere, and, and, and some people have a lot of spice. Yeah, and some yeah. people just have a little bit of spice. Some people are, you know, the the vanilla sex. Everything is pretty straightforward, and there's nothing too particularly kinky. And some people are, uh, as one sex researcher that I read put it, some people have a, a, a small map. Right. These are the locations that they're willing to go. And then some people have the whole map. <laughs> they have the globe. <laughs> they, they, they do have the globe and they are open to anything and everything with anyone and everyone. Well, why not? I mean, I don't see any I don't take issue. Like, it's not for me to judge. I am not yeah. certainly not in a position to judge anybody about anything unless it's unless there's some criminality involved, some non-consent and some some. Um, Injury to vulnerable people. Yeah. Right? Vulnerable or children. Yeah. Right? Go ahead. You were going to finish um, your thought. Uh, I know somebody um, who will remain nameless that that wanted to buy a house so that, that a dungeon could be put in the basement. And I'm like, let me know when you find the house. Yeah. <laughs> right? Uh, so yeah, it's a, and I was a, I was a, extremely interested about about that and what what they were they were into you know and we talked about it and but yeah. you know the, there was there was an excellent book that came out I think it was about fifteen years ago called The Far Side of Desires I think the title um, and, and basically that book was quite a revelation certainly to me because it, it it just talked about that that there are adults that end up saddled with sexual desires that are not only socially unacceptable they're they're morally depraved they're mm-hmm. abhorrent they're illegal right desire towards kids uh, uh, violent uh, behavior um, and and so, with pedophiles, and, and so the, the, the book actually talks to a convicted pedophile who, who has been working extensively with therapy groups and drug therapy and talk therapy, is that, that pedophile, he knows it's wrong, mm-hmm. and he is doing everything he can um, to not be that monster, but... Desire mm-hmm. is a very 
powerful agent. Um, it right right up there with with addiction. And I of was course, just going to say that sexuality you know, that and addiction a, cross over. It goes right over into that to that point where you know what you're going to pick up is is could potentially. Well, first of all, it's criminal, and secondly, it could hurt somebody, you or your, yeah. generally somebody else when it comes to to that sort of uh, sexual uh, adventure. You know what I mean? Offense, Material, offense, yeah, right? yeah. If you're um, if you're a viewer, yeah, uh, yeah. So, yeah, and you just know it, but you can't do anything about it. The desire is overwhelming. And, and, and I. I, I you know, what I said about communities large and small earlier about, uh, you know, addicts and overdoses, there are people in in this city and every city, um, you know, men who are, who have not um, been convicted of sex crimes, mm-hmm. who are doing everything in their power, drugs, talk therapy, whatever, to be good citizens this skeleton in their closet haunts them and will haunt them till the day they die. They realize they have a problem and have done the morally responsible thing of doing everything they can to fight that desire and to keep that demon. Um, and whether it came from they were abused, um, they were molested as, mm-hmm. as young children, or whether it came from somewhere else, it doesn't matter. They've owned it. And and those men will be nameless, uh, and 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 because they likely keep the for obvious reasons keep that a very deep and buried secret um, mm-hmm. that maybe only their partners and maybe sometimes even their partners don't know. Human beings, are we meant to be? You knew this was going to come up, right? Oh. Are we meant to be monogamous? Uh, well, <laughs> the funny thing is, is that the the answer is monogamy is a social construct. Mm-hmm. It's uh, uh, another fabulous book I've read on the topic, Sex at Dawn. Uh, yeah, early humans were most definitely no not not monogamous um, to the point that. Um, some of the sex researchers that cross over into evolutionary biology have asked this very basic question. Why do people make so... Why are most people noisy when they orgasm and women in particular noisy when they orgasm? Letting the rest of them know. I don't that's, know. Is it? That's <clears throat> it. Oh. And 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 particularly the 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 uncomfortable for some people, the uncomfortable thought is that when a woman a woman is particularly loud in orgasm, she is signaling to who's next. Oh. She she is letting the other men know, I'm done with this guy. Who's next? Reminds me, you know what I learned just recently? Cats. So a litter of cats. I'm like, I have two cats that are brothers, and they don't look anything alike. Yeah. And the vet told me, oh, yeah, the the female cat will go and and have as many male partners, right? And so what that does, so... Why are cats so loud? Why are cats so loud? That's that's it. And um, it's just a... 
I don't know why we make such a big deal out of sex. I mean, it's just my uncle once said, who who just recently passed away, um, he once said, I only <laughs> I was I was really rude, but he <laughs> he said I only I only have sex for reproductive purposes. Well, that's pretty boring. And well, I said to him, <laughs> and boy, this cer- certainly made our relationship go downhill further. Um, I said, well, yeah, I mean, look at to your partner is. Oh, no. I know, I know. It was brutal. Ouch. It was mean. I did apologize later on. Yeah. I had to own that. That was rude, and, and it yeah. was uncalled for. Um, <clears throat> like you say, a social construct, but why do we, as human beings put ourselves in that position to be as the Ten Commandments, one of the Ten Commandments, you know, covet thy neighbor's or wife. Covet thy neighbor's, you know, you shall not covet thy neighbor's wife, right. Yeah, you want the wife. Be, be, because or husband or whatever. It's not just men, but but the, the statistics bear out that most men are the the, <laughs> the the theory is that when when we settled into communities and became an agricultural um, societies, we formed agricultural societies, is that when we were together all the time and then sort of, not sort of, ideas of property and ownership came, is that that's where that came from, is that suddenly... We had to think of p- partners as meal tickets. Yes, and 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 also that that those connections could actually be used to uh, form alliances between families mm-hmm. and to mm-hmm. f- and to also settle disputes. Is that um, you know our families have been. The Hatfields and McCoys. Mm. We've been warring for so long, but you know what? Um, if uh, we can solve this with some marriages, mm-hmm. um, right? Because then suddenly we're 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 connected. We're kin, um, as opposed to seeing it as other. So it, it's uh, I. I, I <laughs> I, I think that's a pretty reasonable theory. I mean, again, it's, it's you know, there, there's still a lot of research being done on it, but um, that's the that's the prevailing idea is that that's where that that's where monogamy comes from is is that it's not something that is uh, embedded in our in our sexuality. Well, I, I, I would argue again, the, 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 the history of, of, of adultery and desire, I think clearly proves that, that monogamy is <laughs> not something that we gravitate to naturally. Therefore, a, again, uh, you know, talking about fetishes and kinks for depending on the couples, depending on the people involved, some relationships are open. That, you know, and I think I was thinking about that and how, and the maturity level of the people, the emotional maturity level of the people that are involved in that kind of relationship has to be, like, you have to have some a, a, a good sense of self, first of all. Your self-esteem yes. needs to be uh, unquestionable. Um, and your partner. So if you... So if you are with someone who and you're in an open relationship, 
Um, you got to be ready to understand that you're not the only one. If you love someone, set them free. Set them free. Yeah, and and I think it. You know, when I was younger, I was I was incredibly an incredibly jealous person, and and all I did was it was a self it was a self fulfilling prophecy because I would hold on to something so tight and smother them that they could just had to get away. Yeah. Right. Now, having understood that and grown up a little bit, I'm like, well, you know what? I'm okay, and we're together, and great. And if you decide to go somewhere else, and I'll be like, I'll be disappointed, but. Okay, it is what it is, right? Yeah. Um, where was I? I was going to talk about. Um, oh, I was going to talk about uh, the Habsburgs. The, okay. Um, and 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 the uh, strategic alliances with families and marriages, and 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 you, all you got to do is look at the Habsburgs, and the the Austro-Hungarian. Empire and just look at how well that worked for them because that was more that was incestuous of course and yeah. a lot of cousins and all the royals oh my god they are I don't know how they survived this long without having more mutations than they've already had royal blood right it's it's yeah and and of course i i mean those those are i mean incest is is for a lot of people right up there with with pedophilia mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. just something that is that is completely um yeah just not not cool mm-hmm. uh, uh an interesting part of the john irving novel the one before garp the hotel new hampshire mm. right uh, uh, the, the the key relationship in that novel is an incestual relationship between brother and sister. Um, it, it's 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 one of the key relationships in the Game of Thrones. I was just to say your favorite, right? Um. Uh, <laughs> I like the Game of Thrones, okay. despite the fact the, that I also find <laughs> despite the fact that I also find it campy as all shit. I was like, it's no wonder your family was messed up. I mean, look what you were doing. Yeah. So anyway, it, it's. Uh, um, because and 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 as both Game of Thrones and Hotel New Hampshire, those relationships end up being very complicated, um, and 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 often what's going on is far more than a sexual relationship, but somehow it descends into that. Mm-hmm. And in again, in both characters in Hotel New Hampshire and and. Uh, um, Jamie and uh, what's the Cersei? Cersei, Jamie and Cersei's relationship is there. There, there, there is love there. Uh, it is a sexual relationship, but there is also a, a deep love. Mm-hmm. And so it's it, it's one of those moments where you go, oh, it's wrong, but who am I to judge? So I, I was just thinking about forbidden, right? That yeah. that word forbidden and. And how something like that is forbidden, and and um, and I think we need to thank the Puritans for the fact that 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 in <laughs> North America, yeah, right, uh, not so much in Canada, more the U.S. Which there's this weird dichotomy of sex is like, boy, you know, something we don't talk about, and you know, it's blah 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 blah, and they've got the biggest pornography industry, 
Mm-hmm. Maybe next to maybe Germany's a little bit, <laughs> but <clears throat> ever right? And 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 I'm like I'm trying to is it if it weren't for that would sex be such a big deal? I, I, that's a great point. Certainly, um, pornography has been instrumental in driving forward the development of communications technologies. Mm-hmm. The Gutenberg Bible, of course, is very famous. But if not even before they printed the Bible, one of the very next things that would have been printed on the Gutenberg Press would have been porn. Probably. Um, <clears throat> because people gravitate to that. You, the, the, and, and, and so let me go into a more modern context. Um, the rapid development of, of both the internet and then the speed of the internet and, and then being able to, to see uh, pictures and then movies and whatever, porn pushed that. The porn industry, we need faster connections. We need more robust websites. Uh, we, we need to move up from, you know, remember the old days of 14.4 and 28.8. Uh, I can still hear the handshake yeah. of, the, of the modem. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, right? Is that moving into high speed. Um, porn drove that. Mm-hmm. Porn, porn is driving the, the, the virtual, right, you know, the virtual uh, industry of, right, strapping on the goggles mm-hmm. and actually mm-hmm. having an immersive experience. Um, porn is ahead of Hollywood in developing that technology. Um, so that's, <laughs> uh, we hate to admit it, but I mean, uh, that's the sex kind of drives a lot of things forward, literally. Sex and war. <laughs> Ooh, Neil, that was a good one, actually. Thanks. Um, um, sex and war drive forth technology. Yep. 